0: On Canonical, we deal with subject matters that may be distressing for some listeners. This episode contains description of crimes against children, mental illness and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. (music) Nearly 20 years ago, a verdict was handed down in a horrifying case of infanticide. Andrea Yates was convicted by a Texas jury for murdering her five children. That was the beginning of the end of Andrea's story. For now, we need to take it back to the beginning. This is Canonical. was the 1982 Milby High School valedictorian. She was also captain of the swim team and officer for the National Honor Society. After she graduated in '82, she went on to complete a two-year pre-nursing program at the University of Houston. She finally graduated from the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston before going on to work as a registered nurse at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center from 1986 to 1994. In the summer of 1989, she met Russell, Rusty Yates, and the couple soon moved in together. They married in April 1993, before having their first child, Noah, in February 1994. Shortly after Noah's birth, they left Houston for Florida, after Rusty was offered a job there. They had another child before returning to Houston before Paul, their third child, was born in 1997. After suffering from depression in her teenage years, life was seemingly normal for Andrea, until after the birth of her fourth child. Her depression had returned, and on June 16th of 1999, Russell Russell found Andrea shaking and chewing her fingers. The next day, she made an attempt to complete suicide by overdosing on pills. She was found, admitted to hospital, and she began taking antidepressants. They apparently didn't work as they were meant to, as soon after her release she was begging Rusty to let her die as she held a knife to her neck. Again, she was hospitalized and was started on a cocktail of medications, including the antipsychotic Haldol. After her condition improved and she was released, she continued taking Haldol. Rusty moved the family out of the motorhome they had been living in into a sm- and into a small home. Andrea's mental health seemed to stabilize over this time. That is, until July of 1999, when she suffered a nervous breakdown which culminated in two suicide attempts and two psychiatric hospitalizations over the summer. She eventually was diagnosed with postpartum psychosis. I think here's a good place to pause for a second and talk a little bit about what postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis are. Early in medical history it was recognized that some severe mental illnesses could start abruptly after childbirth. It was eventually clear that postpartum psychosis was not a single unique mental illness, but actually a group of at least 20 distinct disorders. Psychosis itself implies several things, including the presence of manic symptoms, stupor, delusion, and hallucinations, as well as many other things. There are disorders that lack these symptoms, which are excluded. For instance, depression, no matter how severe it is, is excluded, unless there are psychotic features. In high-income nations, the most common postpartum psychosis diagnosis is postpartum bipolar disorder. In these cases, almost every symptom known to psychiatry can occur. The symptoms associated with postpartum bipolar disorder include several kinds of delusion, including the rare delusional parasitosis. According to studies from the British Journal of Psychiatry and the Oxford University Press, about 40% of sufferers have purpural mania and another 25% have an acute polymorphic syndrome. Postpartum depression or postnatal depression, on the other hand, is a mood disorder which can affect both parents. Symptoms of PPD can include extreme sadness, low energy, anxiety, crying episodes, irritability and changes to sleeping patterns. The onset of PPD is usually between one week and one month following childbirth. PPD can also uh, negatively affect the newborn. PPD's exact cause is unclear, however it is believed to be caused by a combination of physical, emotional, genetic and social factors. This can include things like hormonal changes, sleep deprivation, etc., There are risk factors associated with developing PPD, including prior experiences with the disorder, bipolar disorder, and a family history of depression, psychological stress, and a complication with childbirth. Diagnosing PPD is based on a person's presenting symptoms. Many women can experience a brief period of worry or unhappiness after delivery, but PPD should be suspected if symptoms are severe and last more than two weeks. Now that we've covered a little bit about that, let's get back to the case. Andrea stopped taking halol in March 2000. She gave birth to her daughter Mary eight months later on November 30th. She appeared to be coping well until the death of her father on March 12th of 2001. Andrea stopped taking her medication. She also had begun to read the Bible with fervour and mutilate herself. She soon stopped feeding Mary and became so incapacitated that she was once again hospitalised. This brings us round to April 1st, 2001. She was now in the care of Dr. Muhammad Sa Saeed and was treated and released once again. Barely a month after she was put under di- Dr. Saeed's supervision, she de- degenerated into a near catatonic state. She filled the bath in the middle of the day and was hospitalized the following day after a scheduled doctor's visit when Dr. Saeed concluded that she was most likely suicidal and had filled the bath to drown herself. However, Andrea later confessed to police that she was planning to drown her children that day, but had decided against it. This brings us round again to June 20th, 2001. Rusty Yates left his home and began heading to work at the Johnson Space Centre. He was unaware that breakfast that morning would be the last time he would see his five children alive. He left Andrea to look after the children against Dr. Saeed's orders to supervise Andrea around the clock. Rusty's mother, Dora, was scheduled to arrive at the house to look after the children and an hour later. In that short 60 minutes, Andrea drowned all five children. John, Paul and Luke were killed first. Andrea then laid them on her bed and covered them with a sheet. She then drowned baby Mary and was found by Noah, who asked what was wrong with the baby. Noah apparently began to run, but Andrea caught him and drowned him as well. She left Noah in the tub but laid Mary and John's arms on the bed. She called the police, asking for an officer, but refused to say why they were needed. She then called Rusty and told him to return home. Andrea confessed to drowning her children, and although the defense expert testimony agreed that the eighth was psychotic, Texas law required that to successfully determine the insanity defense, the defendant must prove that they could not tell right from wrong at the time of the crime. In March 2002, the jury rejected Andrea's insanity defense, finding her guilty of the murders. The jury also refused to give her the death penalty against the prosecution's request. Andrea was sentenced to life imprisonment with the eligibility for parole in 40 years. However, on January 6, 2005, a Texas Court of Appeals reversed the conviction. Dr. Park Dietz, a California psychiatrist and prosecution witness, had admitted his testimony had been materially false. In his testimony, Dietz stated that shortly before the murders, an episode of Law & Order had aired featuring a woman who drowned her children and was acquitted of the murders by reason of insanity. Author Suzanne O'Malley was covering the trial for several outlets, including NBC News. She'd previously been a writer for Law & Order and immediately reported that there was no such episode. It wasn't until two years later when the episode Magnificat aired that a similar case was on TV. And that episode was based on Andrea's case. The appeal court held unanimously that the jury in Andrew's initial trial may have been influenced by this false testimony and a new trial was required. Yates once again entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity for her new trial and she was released on bail under the condition that she be placed in a mental health treatment facility. She told Dr. Michael Wellner before this trial that she had waited for Rusty to leave that morning because she knew he would prevent her from harming the children. After the murders, police also found the family dog locked up. Rusty said that when he left for work that morning, the dog was running free, as he usually was. This led the psychiatrist to allege that perhaps Andrea had locked the dog up to prevent it from interfering with her killing the children. On July 26, 2005, following three days of deliberations, Andrea's verdict was handed down. This verdict was not guilty by reason of insanity. Andrea was sent to North Te- the North Texas State Hospital Vernon campus before being transferred to the Kerrville State Hospital in January of 2007. According to testimony during the 2006 trial, it was clear that Dr. Saeed had advised Rusty uh, to not leave Andrea unattended. He, however, had begun leaving her alone in the weeks leading up to the murders. His reasoning for this was that he didn't want her developing a reliance on him and his mother for um, Andrea's maternal responsibilities. Rusty allegedly expressed to Andrea's brother, Brian Kennedy, that all depressed people needed a swift kick in the pants to motivate them, and Andrea's mother apparently was shocked when Rusty announced he planned to leave Andrea alone with the children for an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening, noting that Andrea wasn't stable enough to care for the children, even recounting an incident in which Mary had nearly choked when Andrea tried to feed her solid food. According to author Susie Spencer's and Susanna O'Malley, who investigated the case in great detail, Dr. Saeed didn't find out about Rusty leaving Andrea alone until the news of the murders broke. Andrea's first psychiatrist, Dr. Starbrunch, says that she was shocked when the couple expressed their intent to take Andrea off her medication so they could become pregnant again. She warned them against having more children, even writing in medical records. Apparently, patient and husband plan to have as many children as nature will allow. This will surely guarantee future psychotic depression. Despite Dr. Starbrunch's warnings, Andrea and Rusty moved forward and just seven weeks after leaving her care, Andrea was once again pregnant with her fifth child. Rusty claimed to the media that he never was told that his wife was psychotic or that she could harm the children. Had he known otherwise, he would have not had more children. Andrea's conversation with her prison psychiatrist, Dr. Melissa Ferguson, contradicts this, however, saying Rusty had asserted his procreation procreative religious beliefs and he convinced her that he could handle uh, she could handle more children. Rusty and his relatives claim that it is Dr. Saeed that caused Andrea's violent behavior. They believe that Dr. Saeed had improperly prescribed medi- medication which combined overmedicated her. Andrea was on a whopping 450 milligrams of Effexor, Effexor amongst other medications. Rusty had protested that this amount even after the doctor had said he would reduce the dose to 300 milligrams. Rusty produced his own extensive research which indicated that the antidepressant should not be reduced than, uh, by more than 75mg every 3-4 to four days, not 150mg in one day. In 2005, homic- homicidal ideation was added to a Effexal's warning label as a rare adverse effect. Dr M- Maria Dolan, an executive director of the Medical Accountability Network, reviewed Andrea's medical record at Rusty's request. Her review found that Andrea had been taking a Fexil since her first suicide attempt in 1999, but that Andrea had been taking twice the recommended dose for at least a month at the time of the murders. The media began insinuating that there was a responsibility for the murders on Michael Warnicki, an itinerant pr- preacher, as he was pushing a fire, fire and brimstone message. Rusty had met the preacher while he attended Auburn University and certain teachings of the preacher were found in his newsletter titled The Perilous Times, which the Yates had received on several occasions. The newsletter was also entered into evidence at the trial. Chris Cuomo reported on ABC primetime after Andrea's second trial that her delusions were fuelled by the extreme religious beliefs of of a bizarre, itinerant street preacher, but we should note here that both Rusty and the preacher have rejected these claims and accusations. Rusty filed for a divorce from Andrea in 2004, stating he and Andrea had not lived together as a married couple since the day of the murders. The divorce was finalised on March 17 of 2005, and Rusty began dating his second wife, Laura Arnold, soon after. The couple were married on March 25, 2006, and had one son together. They later divorced in 2015. Andrea, while in prison, said that she had thought about killing the children for two years, and added that she thought she just wasn't a good mother, and that her sons were developing improperly. She told her jail psychiatrist, quote, It was the seventh deadly sin. My children weren't righteous. They stumbled because I was evil. The way I was raising them, they could never be saved. They were doomed to perish in the fires of hell. Thank you for listening to Canonical. Sources for this week's episode include the Fordham Law Archive, ABC 17, Texas Monthly, and more. A full list is available now on our website, canonicaltruecrime.com. Follow us on Instagram at canonicaltruecrime to keep up to date with all the latest news and be the first to know when a new episode drops. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If we aren't on your favorite platform, let us know and we'll do our best to get on there. Next time on Canonical True Crime, and I promise it won't be such a long wait this time. On June 11th, 1981, police received a phone call. A whimpering, nearly incoherent voice was on the other end of the line. I'm sorry for what I did to Compton, it said. The weepy voice killer had called again, and Kimberly Compton was not his only victim.